Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. What really happened in Burlville, Rhode Island in a farmhouse in the early 1970s? How accurate is the movie The Conjuring? What was really behind the family's paranormal issues? Hello and welcome to the 677th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. I'm Ben, and those haunting questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad, Paul. So today we uh, deal with a case from the 1970s that has captured the popular imagination. And uh, we welcome your calls today. The numbers are 800-449-1240 from anywhere in the U.S. or Canada, or 401-766-1240 that is uh, here in northern Rhode Island. And uh, we will monitor emails as well. Paul at BehindTheParanormal.com for those. Andrea Perrin, or Perron, as we were discussing yesterday on the phone, uh, is the author of the supernatural trilogy House of Darkness, House of Light, the actual story behind the 2013 feature film The Conjuring, about a case that took place right here in our ON 1240 listening area. She has co- also co-authored the historically-based mystery thriller In a Flicker with George R. Lopez. Andrea is a native Rhode Islander and is certainly a favorite daughter, so to speak, here locally, though she now lives in Florida. And with the temperatures around here lately, I don't blame her. (laughs) Andrea lectures frequently about spirituality, metaphysics, and all things considered paranormal, concentrating her research in ufology, a lifelong fascination of hers, uh, earning a bachelor's degree in philosophy and English, much like my own degree, from Chatham College in 1980. Andrea has since worked in several fields as an entrepreneur, youth counselor and actor while pursuing a variety of eclectic interests over the decades. She is a human rights advocate and animal rights activist. Currently, she is writing a screenplay of her haunting family saga and is collaborating within the film industry to bring the true story to light on the silver screen. Her websites include houseofdarknesshouseoflight.com and inaflickernovel.com. So, Andrea Perrin, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, I've really admired your work for a very long time, and uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to join you today. Well, oh, thank it's, you. It's we're actually really to nice you. to this guest, Ben. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll do my best. Okay. So <laughs> let's start at the very beginning. Can you give us the the basic layout of uh, the case that centered around the old Arnold farmhouse in Burlville when your family moved there in the 1970s? So what happened? Uh, well, it took three books and 1,500 pages to cover everything that happened, and not everything is included. Uh, so uh, I wrote for seven years uh, to write and publish, edit and publish these three books. Uh, it, in a nutshell, I'll give you the two-minute breakdown. Uh, we were a perfectly normal family living in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Uh, a very uh, serious um, uh incident occurred, actually a series of unfortunate incidents occurred uh, for a couple of years, over a couple of years before we actually moved. Um, it, it compelled my mother to tell my father that she wanted to raise her children at a place in the country, that she wanted out of the suburb, she wanted out of the neighborhood that we were in, and he basically said, we've only been here for five years, you know, we don't even have any equity in this house yet. Forget about it, as we like to say up <laughs> in New England. Um, and so she waited until he, she didn't do this deliberately, but she waited till he went out of town on a business trip. And um, 
found the farm, uh, the old Arnold estate, that just kind of leapt off of a, a page in the newspaper at her, and she went and looked at it, emptied the family bank account to secure the property. Uh, my father came home said, how do we get the money back? And she said, you know, just come look at the place first. Now, please keep in mind that there were no ghosts on the radar, okay? This was not something that anybody in my family even talked about or considered or, you know, just didn't exist in our world, in our normal suburban world. And um, so my mother was fascinated because this was one of the original colonial homes of New England. The land was deeded in 1680. The house completed as it stands now uh, was in 1736. Uh, but had been started, you know, certainly as probably a four square years and years before that. So uh, it was just a, a mesmerizing piece of property, 200 acres, a huge old barn that had been built by a shipwright, which is the only reason it probably survived the Hurricane of 38, because mm. it sways in the wind. Um, just an absolutely phenomenal piece of property. Uh, and my father fell in love with it instantly, too. My parents moved heaven and earth to get us there. Uh, we really um, did not expect what we had happened to us. The day we moved in, and, and we had visited the place many times, uh, several at least, uh, before we moved in and gotten to know the owner, Mr. Kenyon. And um, none of us recall having any experiences that were weird or or. Uh, in any way distorted from reality. And the day we moved in, I walked in with a box uh, for destined for the kitchen, went into the parlor, and I greeted Mr. Kenyon in the dining room. And there was a man standing in the corner of the room, and I said good morning as I walked past him. And my only recollection of him, other than his quirky grin, was I thought it was odd that he dressed the way that he did and wondered if everybody up here in the in the boondocks, you know, dressed <laughs> like that. Um and then my sister Christine came in, she mentioned him, Cindy came in, Nancy came in and said there was a man with Mr. Kenyon, but he just disappeared when I walked by. And that was our introduction to the paranormal. Uh, we just, my mother didn't understand what we were talking about when we kept saying the other man with Mr. Kenyon, because of course she was in the kitchen with my baby sister April. And... Uh, she said, his son's on the way, but he's not here yet. So she didn't anticipate that there would be anybody else with Mr. Kenyon, let alone a spirit who appeared completely opaque to me, translucent to Cindy, and vaporized in front of Nancy. So that was our introduction, and slowly over time, we transformed from a normal to a paranormal family, where all of us could see multidimensionally. All of us knew that we were sharing space with numerous other beings, um, and and we had to learn how to dwell among the dead because we all loved the farm and we didn't want to leave it, and it wasn't so much that it was terrifying for us, the children, as it was for my mother, but she was not sharing what was happening to her with her little girl, which was only responsible as far as she was concerned, uh, but she was sharing it with my father who did not believe her. Um, considering she'd rather swallow her tongue than lie to anyone, he should have known better. But he was afraid, too, and it took him decades to admit that he was afraid that he had brought his family to a place where he had zero control over the environment. Um, you know, it's, it's a long 
it's a very long, elaborate 10-year journey that we had at the farm uh, with numerous uh, incidents, some of them actually quite funny, some of them terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did teach all of us that there is something beyond our mortal existence, and for that knowledge, I will always be grateful. Okay. Were there really people, and, and I, I have no excuse for not knowing this because I was editor of the paper, weekly paper around this parts for years, and uh, I should know this, but uh, <clears throat> were there really people drowning in ponds and hanging themselves on that property in prior years? Well, unfortunately, I will be spending the rest of my life uh, delineating the uh, glaring discrepancies between the conjuring and the truth. Yeah. Um, we had, uh, yes, there were numerous deaths. I mean, when you consider that eight generations of one extended family lived and died on that property. Oh, sure. Yes. You know, there are uh, numerous spirits around uh, the property on the house. Uh, we've even captured photographs of what I think some people would describe as elementals. I don't know. Um, I say I don't know a lot because, you know, we moved there when I was 12, and I'm 58 now. And if we don't have the answers, nobody has the answers. So, you know, there are no, um, there are no, gosh, there's nobody in the paranormal that can say definitively. There is no such thing as an authority uh, in the paranormal. That's right, just people Um, with interesting ideas. Right, you know, and you can, it's one thing to say, you know, yes, spirit exists. You know, I've had my experiences with spirit. And then it's a whole entirely different thing to say, I know exactly what it is and where they come from and where they live when they're not haunting us and yada, yada. No, no. And anybody that represents themselves that way is a fraud and they're lying to themselves and everyone else. So Mm -hmm. you'll hear me say, I don't know, to answer. Um, But the thing that's uh, important to know is that even though none of them ever walked up to us and said, hello, my name is... um, we did have uh, numerous uh, encounters with a number of different characters in that house, uh, men, women, and children, and pets. We had animal spirits in that house, too, uh, and in the barn. Actually, I want to back up just a minute, uh, Andrea, because uh, I'm intrigued by something you said earlier. Um, of course, Cumberland is right here in our listing area. Ben, Ben, uh, we were li- we lived in Cumberland when Ben was born. Um, wh- whatever happened to you? And I was intrigued by the, um, the 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 section of your website that said uh, uh, living in a suburb of Providence like that was disquieting, quote unquote. And I don't know. I never found Cumberland very disquieting um, in in that sense. Whatever happened to you? There was it anything to do with paranormal and at all? Anything paranormal in nature when you were there? That Soured you no, on the town? My mother, my mom always said, fear the living, not the dead. And yeah, I agree with that. our last couple of years in Cumberland, it was time to fear the living. Oh, okay. Uh, some right. really well, you don't have to get into happened. that. I was just wondering if it was paranormal. Yeah, well, the first 40 or 50 pages of Volume 1 does get into it. Actually, I know that, yeah. I, I, yeah, I want people to know what catapulted us to the farm. I call it a cosmic conspiracy. It's like all these pieces had to fall directly into place, as horrible as they were, in order to compel my parents to buy the place. Isn't that interesting how that happens? Synchronicities, as we might say. Yes, and that happens a lot to a lot of people that have paranormal experiences. But no, it was was absolutely uh, pure, unadulterated evil in human form uh, that 
you know, killed my animals and, you know, ransacked our house and, you know, neighbor kids that had been our friends turned into criminals overnight. I mean, it was, you know, I don't mean to in any way disparage Cumberland. It is bucolic, beautiful town, just loaded with historical locations and mm -hmm. magnificent architecture. The monastery is, is um Nothing like it in the world I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, it's been a beautiful, beautiful town, but the people that we were surrounded with at the time and the things that were happening really did force us to reconsider our location. When we were relegated to staying in our own yard and not being able to go out to the neighborhood anymore, uh, it was serious. Um, fair, yeah, fair enough. One you know, of the principles so that, uh, and, and you're familiar with our theories and methods, uh, which, as we say, may or may not be right. But uh, one of the ideas that we operate on is that it's 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 people who you might even say it's people who are haunted, not necessarily places haunted in a very broad sense of the term, because people participate in the phenomena. You know, we don't just sit there like lumps and things happen to us. You know, we uh, our awareness, our consciousness participates in the whatever paranormal thing may be going on. So, do you feel that these negative events in Cumberland? were part of a general scenario, what do we call it, psychic scenario, whatever you want to call it, surrounding your family, something you had to shake later on as, as a family uh, and that sort of followed you in a way from Cumberland to, uh, to Burrowville? Well, or I could buy into that hypothesis if uh, there was any kind of underlying uh, paranormal activity around our family while we lived in Cumberland and there was not an inkling of it. It wasn't until we all moved to the farm that we each became singularly aware and then shared our experiences with each other, which in its own right is a source of validation. Sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say, you know, and I'm, I'm perfectly open to a question like this. I think it's, it's important that we talk about these things because, uh, you know, it's, you don't want to cast dispersions on a family and say, oh, well, you guys were all screwed up, and then you went to the farm and you got more screwed up. Mm. Uh, no, that's not how it was. Um, you know, mom raised kids and ran a business. Dad went off to work. I mean, we were as Americana as it gets, uh, and there was no uh, shadow of paranormal activity around us. I mean, there wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't even a subject that was ever discussed. The closest, honestly, the closest we ever came to weird was we would rush home from school to watch Dark Shadows in the afternoon. Cause I liked <laughs> Didn't we all? And, you know, I, yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, and um, and Salty Brian. You know, I mean, that was <laughs> like, honestly, we were just so boring. Um, and But it, it was not until we moved to the farm that, uh, you know, I really, I've said a billion times, uh, the, that the place is a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. I cannot explain to you why. There's no way that I could give you a plausible explanation for why. There is a lot of um, uh, speculation around it, um, that it was ancient Indian ground before it was claimed by the colonists. The Nipmuc River um, runs right through it, and the Nipmuc tribe uh, inhabited that valley. Um, and this is well before Roger Williams. This is before the Massachusetts Bay Colony. This is forever and ever before. Uh, so the land is that my sister, my little sister April saw little Indian children 
playing in the woods, uh, described, came home and described their outfit to a T to my mother and said, and then looked up in her eyes and she said, I guess they must have all died together. You know, I mean, it was heartbreaking. You know, she's describing children playing in the woods her own age and dressed the way that they were, right down to their handmade moccasins. Uh, you know, this is ancient, ancient land, as in, as is all the land on the planet. But mm-hmm. that's a whole nother conversation. Yes, uh, the, the, the thing that uh, I think that we need to understand is that there is, um, when you build a place with your bare hands from scratch, stone by stone, the walls go up, uh, wall by wall, the wood goes in place. You know, this is an old flatboard house. Uh, it's just ancient by American standards, you know, 1736. It's truly original colonial home. And I think that it is the concentration of energy there, residual energy. Um, and I also think that there were many, many people that lived and died in that house and on that property that loved it and that come back to visit regularly. And that's just my own opinion. Yeah. Well, what's interesting too is is your comment that uh, very soon after you moved there, it became evident there were was activity not just in the house but outside and in the barn and everything else. And this is one of the things we always look for is activity. You know, it's it's ne- it never seems to be concentrated even on one piece of property. The whole area seems to be affected. And I'm looking back to the '90s when uh, before Ben joined me, uh, but he was uh, I was investigating case after case in the town of Burrowville. And, and as our local audience knows, Rhode Island is is not just 39 towns. It's very small, but it's really 200-odd villages. So in Burrowville, you have Harrisville, as the movie talked about in The Conjuring. You have Pasco, particularly. Um, yeah. And Pasco uh, is particularly active, at least in our experience. So yeah, I suspect... Oakland so, and Mapleville, too. Mapleville I mean, as well, yes. Burrowville yeah. was haunted. We almost you know, moved to Mapleville one time. You yeah. know, that Mapleville is lovely. All of Burrowville is lovely. It is. It's really the, the northwest corner of the state. It's the largest town in the state. Mm-hmm. And if you keep well. your hands on the Black Book of Burrowville, which I will be happy to email to you, uh, you won't believe how many people uh, it goes back. It's not even a complete list of bizarre deaths but how many deaths occurred between the 1700s and the 1970s when this book was compiled. And it isn't complete. Um, there were deaths on the property. There were um, a number of deaths that occurred there. And uh, the whole notion in The Conjuring of Bathsheba Sherman hanging herself from a tree, it's all made up. It's completely conjured in the mind of two lovely screenwriters who were overwhelmed with information when they read the book and, of course, trying to base the film on Mrs. Warren's case file, the file that she and Ed Warren compiled during their brief um, but very intense investigation of the farmhouse. They only came to the house five or maybe six times. Uh, Slight discrepancy, we don't know for sure, but, I mean, over a year and a half, we saw them five or six times. Um, But we lived there for ten years. So there were many, many things that happened at the house that uh, the Warrens didn't know about because the last time we saw them was in 1974. Uh, so we were there another seven, six years. Um, mm-hmm. it, the movie does a disservice to the paranormal community as far as I am concerned. 
Uh, my mother took umbrage with a number of things, including the fact that she was not possessed. Uh, there was no exorcism. She never tried to plunge a pair of scissors into any of her children. Uh, absolutely ludicrous elements of the film. Yeah, I never uh, knew Ed to try and do an exorcism. Yeah, no, Ed would never, never have done that. Even I was watching the film three months before it opened, sitting next to Lorraine Warren, and she leaned over and she said, Ed would never have done that. Yeah. And I, I patted her hand and handed her a tissue, and I said, I know, hon, of course not. You know, that's Holly Weird. That's what they do. It's method. It's oh, tell us about it. It's yeah. Good. Yeah, it's true. You know? I was struck, however, by, uh, if we're going to talk about the film, which we, we wanted to anyway, I was uh, going to mention I was I was struck by several things. Uh, first of all, um, had this been a year later when they came in, you might have met me because it was about a year later I started working with them. And uh, it's funny, the, the Annabelle doll, I used to walk by her all the time in their basement. They had a, a passageway from their house to their, uh, did you ever go to their house? Uh, no, my parents did, though. Oh, okay. Uh, they had an art studio in a barn, and then the house, when the, once they rebuilt it, and in the corner of this, this underground passage was this uh, all these bizarre artifacts that uh, they had, and in the, right in the center was dear old Annabelle, who was actually a Raggedy Ann doll and all this business. So, <laughs> so um, But I was never involved. You know, they told me about it later, but... Um, you know, they always had so much going on, and then we were doing so much that it just wasn't, uh, you know, I, I never came over to the house uh, when that was going on. But uh, but there were several th- things in the film that, that, that were classic Ed, you know, the, the knocking three times and mocking the Trinity. He always said that. But I'm also struck by the fact that, uh, you know, Ed, uh, they have this dashing actor with Wilson uh, playing. Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson, you know, yeah. playing Ed and Ed and, uh, you know, very suave. And Ed was, um, you know, a, a nice person, but he was, you know, rather, rather plain looking, a little heavy set and, <laughs> you know, so that was, but I, that's Hollywood. So just a few impressions yeah. uh, from the surface uh, yeah. of that. But, um, well, how did the Warrens get involved? Upset, uh, well, that's another thing uh, about the film. My mother never went seeking the help of anyone. Uh, one day, Keith Johnson uh, and his group from Rhode Island College showed up in our yard. Okay, and we didn't yeah. know why they were there. Yeah. And they're the ones. Um, and, and very interesting, Keith said that my mother called him. My mother said, no, honey, I never called anybody. Uh, but he said, but I recognize your voice. I mean, yeah, but that Keith was told me this, that, yeah. You know, I mean, there's no explaining this. Um, and other than uh, someone... Uh, it sounded like my mother called on our behalf. I mean, very few people knew what was going on at the house. My mother kept it very quiet, and we did too. Um, so, I mean, you just knew it was not something that you should talk about. And when we did, all it did was create trouble for us. So we learned to shut up. Mm. And um, and so, anyway, Keith Johnson's the one that brought the Warrens in. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and his brother Carl and their group, Pilo, from Rhode Island College, he's only a few years older than I am. Yeah, uh, and and when he came to the house, uh, I mean, all hell broke loose in the house the day that he was there. That house, or or whatever dwells within, did not want him there. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that said, oh, "Okay, there's a problem here." And he's the one that brought the Warrens in. Uh, and you know, for for them to have represented our family as as you know the godless heathens, the Perrin pagans, you know, in the movie. <laughs> Um, you know, was just uh, a real disservice, not only to my family, but also to uh, the um, 
to the Warrens because it portrayed them as, you know, the devout Roman Catholic. I guess they tried to juxtapose, you know, good and evil. I don't know what they were trying yeah, to do. Yeah, no, that rings a bell with me, yeah. Know, to create that kind of dichotomy. But, you know, we were all born and raised Catholic, all baptized and confirmed. My father grew up in the Catholic tradition, educated in parochial school, was an altar boy his whole youth, and was destined for the priesthood when he met my mother. And she converted to Catholicism to marry him, mm. as was the thing to do back then. Yeah. And, you know, so to represent us as less than spiritual people uh, was not fair. And uh, the Catholic Church turned its back on us. It wasn't the other way around. Our priest was so frightened by what he heard going on at our house that he approached my father uh, on Easter Sunday in 1973 and asked him to take our family and worship elsewhere. And that's the truth. How many times have I seen that? Yeah. You know, yeah. I don't even blame the man. He was a good, kind human being. Um, he was frightened. You know, and fear makes people do strange things. Oh, yes. Even against their own principles. You know, which is why I travel all over the place, you know, preaching love, not fear, which is the opposite of love. Fear is, is uh, the root of all hatred, in my opinion. And uh, an awful lot of people agree with me. Mm. So that's what I do my job to battle and try to be a beacon of light and hope. Even my mother, when we were writing the book, when I first started compiling all the notes and I moved from Rhode Island to Georgia to be with my family, while well, I did this because it required, uh, you know, it just... It required that level of commitment to be in the bosom of my family uh, so that I could get this right, okay. um, which is exactly what I'm doing. And she said, you know, we tried to bury our kids for 30 years, and it's amazing how close to the surface they were buried. Well, if it came time to exhume them, you know, like, but here it is. Nobody forgot anything. You know, I'm thinking exactly. I'm going to have to talk. Uh, Andrew, we have to take our, bo- take our bottom of the hour break, but we'll be right back. Oh, oh sure. Okay, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno and our marvelous guest, Andrea Perrin, on WOON 1240, New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley, now broadcasting for 70th year. Pretty cool. We'll be right back. The Extra Point, afternoons on ON 1240 Radio, bringing you local interviews, stories, and opinions on the local athletes with none other than radio great Lou Mandeville. Yes, that's me. Afternoons, Monday through Friday on ON 1240. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with uh, Paul and Ben Eno. And with us, our lovely guest, uh, Andrea Perrin, talking about The Conjuring and all sorts of other things and the truth about it. And Hollywood sensationalism, that's also a good topic as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Ben, you had a question for Andrea. I did, but then she answered it. So. <laughs> okay. Uh, you are a psychic after all, Andrea. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we had um, wanted to get into a little more depth about your own experiences there. Um, in the family's experience, uh, again, this is the old uh, Shepherd. Uh, Shepherd. <laughs> I'm listening to the film, the old Arnold uh, estate uh, in, in Burlville, Rhode Island, right in our listening area. Did you ever get the impression, well, first of all, did you ever hear from any neighbors, and it's, it's a rural area, but there are houses around, that they, that, that they also were having, having any issues, or, or did that not come up, or the opportunity never arose? Yes, it was kind of standard fare. Uh, my sister babysat for, uh, for a couple 
uh, right across the, the line. Used to be Rhode Island. Now it's Douglas, East Douglas, Mass. Right. Uh, they had a supremely haunted house. Uh, but she was, and the reason that she stayed their babysitter was because she was the only one that wouldn't come and leave. <laughs> you know, she just uh, was used to it by the time she was old enough to babysit for them. And they ended up being the ones that bought the house from us, the abutting landowner, mm-hmm. um, years later, a decade later. Uh, and uh, the family that we were closest to over on Collins Pass, their house was haunted. Uh, the Sherman Farm was haunted. Um, the McEachern place was haunted. There were a number of places right around us in Uxbridge, East Douglas. This was all originally Rhode Island land. Um, and actually, the original Arnold estate was not built by the Arnolds. It was the Richardson family, and they had thousands. It was a land grant. Um, and their original cemetery is about two miles away from the farm. So that tells you how much land came with it originally. When we bought it, it was 200. Did you ever see any unusual military activity or anything that you might say would be kind of strange people kind of hanging around, looking around, parked on the road, you know, like before this became generally known, that kind of thing? Um, no. Okay. No, not until the one started talking about it, and oh, they, did uh, they that. were so excited that they kind of gave away too much information, and then the lunatic French came out of the woodwork. Well, that was kind of a classic experience. I mean, it, it's ironic. I've been a, in the when they threw me out of the seminary for researching the paranormal, and my association with the Warrens didn't help. Um, I ended up. What else can I do? So I ended up in journalism by dumb luck. I shoehorned my way in because the only other thing I could do was write. That's 35 years ago or more, more like 40. And today, the last thing I would ever do in a case, and Ben too, would be to call in the media. Yeah, it's the a terrible l- idea. Last thing you can do, and Ed did that, and it was a very bad idea. Anyway, because you know they made a living at this, and we don't. But anyway, not to be critical, but there you go. So, um, yeah. as far as um, the experiences are concerned, now because we're suspecting, we've suspected for a long time that that's what we call a flap area out there, and it long has been and long will be, and that many, many people are experiencing uh, similar things, although you seem to certainly be an epicenter there on that property. Did you ever suspect at any point that maybe there was a little more to it? Maybe some of the explanations that we commonly embrace, such as dead people or whatever, were really not quite good enough in the sense that you know, the, the, your sister saw uh, native children in the woods, you know, dressed authentically. And I mean, you know, if did, did you ever suspect that maybe that there's there's more to it, and that what you were seeing may or may not have been what it appeared to be? I don't know if I'm making myself clear. Yes, um, I suspect that a lot. <laughs> I do, uh, and I'll tell you a real quick story that really um, changed my perspective a lot at the time. I was only maybe. 16 years old when this happened. Uh, but my mom got up and she was uh, really uh, diminished capacity after uh, the seance that went so dreadfully wrong. Uh, the Warrens came and rather foisted a seance on my parents. Yeah, and, bad idea. Uh, it was, yes, it was a bad idea. But the medium committed what I consider to be spiritual malpractice. You do not kick open wide the doors to the netherworld and invite everyone into what you already know. Absolutely not. It's a supremely not. haunted house. Um, and my mother almost paid with her life that night. It was horrific, worse than anything that they ever conjured up for the conjuring. Yeah. Uh, but um, she went downhill. I mean, she was just wasting away. And she got up one night 
uh, had been in bed all day. I came home from school, cooked dinner, got the kids' homework done, got everybody to bed, and I shut down the house when she got up, and she asked me for food, and I went through the dark dining room, into the front foyer, into the kitchen, into the pantry to prepare something for her. And in the interim, she threw a log on the fire, and she heard laughter behind her, turned around, looked into our dining room. It was completely lighted with um, oil lamps and uh lanterns and candles and there was a whole family having dinner in our dining room sitting at furniture that was not our own and there was a woman cooking at the fireplace that had been closed more than a hundred years when we bought the place and um, there were two men sitting uh, at the on one of the benches and one looked into the parlor and saw her on the hearthstone and made direct eye contact with her and he nudged the man beside him and pointed her out the gentleman and they both saw her and she was the ghost and what that told me was that we were in some type of a vortex or some kind of a place where uh, multiple dimensions existed simultaneously um, extra dimensional multi multi-dimensional uh, if they could see her then they were looking into the future and mm -hmm. she could see them so she was looking into the past uh, and that, you know, I think everything, everything has a scientific explanation. And I believe it was Tesla that said that when we merge science and spirituality and really investigate from two, two fronts simultaneously, that that's when the answers will come. Yeah. Um, but this is dimensional in nature, uh, extra dimensional, multidimensional, interdimensional in nature, that something like that could happen. And that's what was her moment of epiphany. That's what turned her around, made her care again, got herself healthy, and brought herself in mind, body, and spirit back to her family. You know, how many times has the same thing happened? It's funny, when that was happening to you, uh, 70 to 72, I was out not far away in Pomfret, Connecticut, investigating mm -hmm. the Village of Voices case, and very similar things were happening. And that's when I had, if you want to call it my epiphany, uh, such mm -hmm. as it was that that you know this is far more th than death. It's 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 there's undiscovered science here. There's all kinds of strange physics and things of this kind. So I hear you, my friend. But oh yeah, this, uh, is, this is quantum physics. Yeah, this and how many times? Yeah, how many times have we run into into ghosts that that you know think we're ghost haunting them? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to yeah. interrupt. No, no, you're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, we are like-minded on this. Um, yeah. I think that the safest assumption that we human beings, we mere mortals can make is that we know nothing compared to what there is to know. That's the, that's the motto of this show. Everything you know is wrong. Yeah. You know, what is the worst thing, Andrea, that happened to you in this whole case? Uh, I never really had a, a, a problem with the spirits. I felt more attached to them uh, than I did to some real living people. At that time, um, it was I didn't have an issue with them, and they never had an issue with me. Uh, I can tell you that the worst moment of my life, not just the time we lived in the house, but the worst moment of my life was when I saw my mother uh, just entered, uh, infiltrated by something that was purely evil. Uh, I don't know if demons exist. I've never seen a demon, quote-unquote. Um, but I do know that uh, something was invited and went to the weakest link at that table that night, and I was standing about six feet away behind a door that was stopped 
partially closed. I could see everything that happened in the room. And my mother was um, taken over briefly by something that used her as a conduit to make its presence known to everyone in that house. Um, the uh, medium collapsed on the table. The priest that was there was over in the corner, trembling, quite literally quaking, physically quaking from fear. Uh, and it spoke through my mother. It spoke in a language that does not exist on this planet. Uh, it made uh, horrendous sounds that came through her that were not her voice or generated from her voice. It twisted her body into a ball and a knot to the extent you would expect to hear bones breaking. And then it levitated her off the floor in the chair in which she was sitting and tossed her in a fraction of a second from the middle of the dining room to the middle of the parlor. And when her skull hit the floor and it reverberated throughout that entire house, everyone present thought they had just watched her die. That is the most horrendous moment of my life. I hope never to repeat it or ever see anything so horrific again as long as I live. Yeah. No, understandable, and I, I can tell you a similar story was worst event, one of the worst events in my life. But the um, the, the notion of of uh, many different kinds of entities manifesting, as we see in these flap cases, uh, is is interesting as well. Did you ever see, and I, I think you just have described this, uh, entities that obviously were not human, uh, or may have been non-human, but but not as we would say, parasitical, or as folklore would say, demonic, um, was it sort of, uh, would you describe it as a um, sort of a grand central station of the multiverse, if you will, with all sorts of life forms that may or may not have been aware of each other coming and going, that sort of thing? Uh, yes, I think that that's actually probably the best description that I've ever heard of it. Um, uh, our, our tenure at the farm, it was a multiverse. Uh, there were, it was the first time I ever had a UFO experience. We'd only been there about not quite a year um, when I had my first sighting that was unequivocal. It was um, undeniable. It changed my life. Uh, I did not tell my mother about it for several years after it happened because she was going through her own stuff, and it was almost like I wanted to keep it private. It was my first... Uh, it was my instant of knowing that we're not alone in the universe. And it sparked a fascination in me and a love in me that was not mortal. Um, a higher love is what I call it. Uh, and the thing that was so interesting is what I saw was being witnessed by tens of thousands of people up and down the eastern seaboard and around western Europe was reported tens of thousands of times. But what I saw crossed over millions and millions of people. And I still get to answer the integral question, why did only some of us see it when it had the ability to block out the sun? Yes. Why didn't everybody see it? Yeah, now, we ask the uh, same question very often. Yeah. yeah. Did you feel, so, when it came to the UFO experience, did you feel it was kind of a personal experience? With yes. sort of a, 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 maybe perhaps an unspoken message to you personally? Yes, it felt intimate. Yeah, it felt, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, like this is my very, very special contact. And 
I never really thought about UFOs. I was only you know, 13 years old. I was busy in school and busy, you know, taking care of the house and setting up with mom. And, you know, I was her right-hand girl. I was her girl Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was there for her. And, uh, you know, so this wasn't even something that I had considered in, in the same way that we had not considered ghosts and spirits moving into such an old house. Uh, but once it was on my radar, wow. I couldn't, I, whatever was in print at that time about UFOs, I devoured. I wanted to know everything that I could know. Uh, and I remember being so profoundly moved when I saw Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I was only 17, and I went with a couple of good friends of mine. And at the end, when the tall white figure comes out and extends her arm, mm-hmm. I was like, I have come to mama moment. You know, which explained to me why I had always felt like a misfit on the planet. Um, even though I integrated well socially and I had good friends and, you know, I still was a very uh, solitary-based individual from uh, my early youth, and which is hard to do when you've got four younger sisters. But uh, I was very much into myself, into my own mind, my own thought process, my own music, my own writing, my own everything. And um, it was... It was like they infiltrated that. I suddenly felt uh, opened up in a way that I cannot explain because it's hard to find the words in this language or any other for the uh, visceral experience that it was. You say uh, something that we really believe, and that's that uh, our language, or any language, really isn't up to actually talking about this. Yes, that's in, in right. In full sense. You mentioned you mentioned a number of things that I think are going to create a whole series of shows here because just we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, there's only so much you can talk about in an hour. Yeah, uh, the weak link idea is something we find that, that's that's really really true. Uh, the when para, we call them parasites, when parasitical entities come, mm-hmm. um, and and we believe they're perfectly physical because I've had physical confrontations with them, particularly in that Bridgeport house when the Warrens were in the background of that too, in '74. And yeah, they, they, they will look for the weakest link in the family, and they will, depending on the species, they, they will farm that leak, sometimes farm the whole family. And um, even in the film, as inaccurate as it yeah, was. Yeah, I was just going to say they mentioned that in, in the film. But they, they said yeah, feeding, feeding off. But the, there was no, like, specific thing they were no, feeding No, they just left of. it there. They didn't, they didn't tie up the knots. I mean, it was, it was a very sloppily made film, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and it's ironic because we were in one of the promos for it, but we <laughs> didn't really well, like it. Well, you know, I'm grateful to James Wan and the entire casting crew of The Conjuring. Uh, they threw their hearts and souls into making that movie. Uh, the script that they were working with, they all knew, barely scratched the surface. Nobody stepped foot on that set until they'd read the book. They knew what they were, who the, that the people that they were portraying were alive and well, that were going to come visit them on the set. You know, they knew what they were doing. Um, but unfortunately, the script that Chad and Terry Hayes originally delivered that had so much more of the truth in it was rejected by Warner Brothers. It was sent back seven times. Wow. They were told to tone it down because if they didn't, it would literally run people out of the theater. I don't think that they give the viewing audience enough credit for intelligence. No, they don't. And I'm in the midst of making the three films of the trilogy that will tell 
the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And people are not going to pass out and have heart attacks. They're going to go on a spiritual journey with my family that will Good. profoundly and permanently change them. And so that's what I'm doing because, you know, what's the point of making another fictionalized film? Um, you know, the Warrens, it was supposed to glorify the Warrens. It succeeded in that respect, but it made it look like they moved in with us, solved all of our problems, yeah. and we all lived happily ever after. And nothing could have been further from the truth. My father threw them out of our house in 1974 as he was trying to revive my mother mm-hmm. from the incident I just described. Uh, his language was atrocious, nothing I would ever, ever uh, repeat on the air, especially uh, not on FCC-monitored air. Right. Um, Please, but, you know, don't suffice do that. To say, uh, sticking to the Queen's English, suffice to say yeah. that they knew that they were not wanted in that house anymore. The cinematographers that brought all their state-of-the-art equipment found it smashed into a billion pieces down in the cellar uh, the night that they were trying to capture any kind of activity downstairs. Uh, the you know, the, the priest just about passed out, medium actual did. It was chaos. It was bedlam. Uh, it was ugly and horrific and, you know, nothing like what you saw in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, suffice to say, if anybody's really interested in other than a good scare that will make your hair stand up, um, please avail yourself of the book. Do not expect them to be just a series of scary stories. This trilogy goes into the who, what, when, where, why, and how of the paranormal. It brings the reader on the journey with us. I expect them to suspend the notion of linear time from the minute we step on the farm till the minute that we leave. I expect them to absorb it in a spiritual level. It's more like a uh, a long lamentation or a spiritual meditation. It's uh, frightening for sure in some elements, but this is not a horror story. It's a love story story at its core and it changed profoundly altered every single member of my family and we waited 30 years before we released anything to the public even though there were many people who knew what had happened to us at the farm the world didn't know and i think that the world is ready for this and that i think that it will cause a great uh rise a, a rising of uh human consciousness anybody that's to this story, whether in print or on film, the whole true story will be changed, the way that they think, how they open their minds and their hearts to the possibilities that exist in an ever-expanding universe. You know, I couldn't agree more. That's our message, that paranormal is not about scary stories, it's about what we are, who, where mm-hmm. we're going, and how we do it together. That's that's it. Yes, Before exactly. we we burned up this hour, Andrea, so please tell us about your, where people can get your book, your websites, your work, and what, what's, what's cooking, go, cooking with you, and uh, where, can people, where can people find out more? Well, anybody that would like to meet me in person, uh, and I love that. God knows I love wrapping my arms around my friends and followers, uh, <laughs> wonderful people that I have met in the paranormal community, just the best of the best. Uh, I will be available for signing books and uh, autographs and all kinds of gobbledygook that I'm bringing with me to TerrorCon uh, up at the Rhode Island Convention Center February 25th and 26th uh, in downtown Providence, and I will be there. So, yes, I am actually coming home to Rhode Island in the dead of winter. I don't know <laughs> what has possessed me, but when Tiffany Rice asks me to do something, the question is answered automatically with a yes. Mm-hmm. So I will be at the Rhode Island Convention Center 
uh, on February 25th and 26th for TerraCon. It's going to be fantastic. Um, so uh, I invite people to go to their website, theterracon.com, all lowercase, theterracon.com, and check it out. It's a great website. I will also be back for my favorite event of the year, the Ocean State Paracon, which happens in beautiful downtown Harrisville at the mm-hmm. Assembly Theater, uh, and that happens in July. So you can go to Ken DeCosta's site and get that there, and just you know check out my books on Amazon, or they're available everywhere. I mean, virtually everywhere. The best, fastest way to get them is online. Um, and uh, I would also like to tell people about In a Flipper uh, that I wrote with George Lopez, and I can brag shamelessly about it because it was George's idea. It's his concept and his baby. But when he shared it with me uh, several years ago, I said, George, you have to write this down. Uh, and he said, I'm not a writer. I said, well, <laughs> You know, lucky for you, I am, and I will, you know, help you do this. And actually, he is a very good writer, and we collaborated together on In a Flicker, which is the only plausible explanation for why Jack the Ripper was never um, caught and convicted. Um, It is a really remarkable story, extricated um, from the annals of history, uh, and it's an interesting mix of fact and fiction and fictional characters. Uh, and and amalgamated to such an extent that you get to a point in the book where you cannot discern one from the other. Uh, and there's uh, a little bit of uh, traveling through time and space involved. It really is a phenomenal read, so I, I recommend it highly. We've gotten virtually nothing but five-star reviews from around the world since we launched it a year ago. And House of Darkness, House of Light is available Anywhere and everywhere, and anybody can reach me on Facebook if they want their own signed copies. I ship them out a couple times a week. Uh, so that's it. That's me in a nutshell. Okay, great. Well, we have about one minute, and we have a question from uh, Kathleen in Boston who asks, did you ever see any cryptids or Bigfoot on the property? No, I wish. <laughs> that would be great. There have been sightings in that vicinity. Over- well, yes, um, but no, I can't say that any of us did. Uh, I wish, you know, that would be, I think if cryptics exist, uh, they're probably extraterrestrial in nature, um, but uh, I would like somebody, and you know, and I don't need a carcass to prove, you know, I don't need something to die to prove to me that it exists. Mm. Uh, I think some good film footage would suffice, uh, but I hope they exist. And um, I think Harry and the Hendersons, you know, could move in with me in a heartbeat. <laughs> okay. Well, that one, Andrea, thank you for, uh, I must say, a thought-provoking and, and dramatic interview, and uh, we'll be talking very soon. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you very much to both of you. Have a wonderful day. Go Patriots. Uh, yes, yes. That's right. We didn't want to take sides because we're little listeners everywhere, but we are in New England, and we can't help it. Indeed. Super Bowl today. No, no, no. We're taking sides. Okay, that, that, yep. Okay. Ben's mom is, is gonna be down at the Super Bowl party and, uh, we're gonna see what happens. So thanks a lot. You're welcome. Thank you, both. I'll talk to you again soon, dear. T- talk soon. Have okay. A good one. Alright. Okay. okay, Ben, take away, take it away, I should say. Oh, I will take it away as soon as I get to the many announcements that we have. 
So our new book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong, is in most stores. Uh, that is bookstores. And if they don't have it, they can get it. It's also available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and other online retailers as well. Uh, but if you're really serious, you can get an autographed copy at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, or our main website, NewEnglandGhosts.com. So this coming Saturday, February 11th, we'll be at the Barnes & Noble Bookstore at the Crossings in Smithfield, Rhode Island, for a presentation and book signing uh, that was originally announced for 2 p.m., but apparently it's going to be 12.30 p.m., uh, probably to about 5. That's what we uh, seem to understand at this point. Alrighty, so the following week, uh, it's Saturday, February 18th, uh, we'll be at the Danbury Connecticut Public Library for a program and book signing uh, beginning at 10.30 a.m., and on Saturday, March 4th, our wide-ranging uh, little feet will take us to the Barnes & Noble Bookstore on Saturday, March 4th, as I say, in Hadley, Massachusetts, in the beautiful Pioneer Valley, uh, for presentation and book signing. That's going to be from 2 to 5 p.m. And on Saturday, March 11th, we'll be at the Book Lovers Gourmet Bookstore in Webster, um, Massachusetts, uh, for a presentation and signing uh, beginning at 2 p.m. Uh, the following week... So this never ends. Saturday, March 18th, we'll be present, presenting and uh, signing books at the Toadstool Bookshop in Keene, New Hampshire. And there are three Toadstool Bookshops, but that's the one in Keene, so we'll take note of that. Uh, major events where we will be speakers this spring will include the 2017 Northeast Parafest in Kittery, Maine on April 29th, and the Saucer Symposium at the KRI Center for Consciousness Studies in Stratham, New Hampshire on May 20th and 21st. On the 21st, we'll do the show live uh, from there, noon to 1 p.m. at our usual slot uh, with a panel of the speakers. Now, n- new events are being added frequently, so check BehindTheParanormal.com or our show Facebook page, Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben, you know, for updates. And I just want to mention, Ben, one more thing. Sure. Uh, we were in contact with with our very dear friend Martin Willis of Podcast UFO, very very uh, globally known fellow who is a, a very nice uh, host and and uh, producer as well. And Martin is starting a new podcast apparently called Ghost Talk, and we will be the guests on February 27th at 8 p.m. Uh, that's on YouTube. It'll be live, and I, I presume it'll be you know there as well for good after that. So we'll uh, tell you more about that as the time approaches. Meanwhile, I don't know, Ben, we got uh, you, our own YouTube channel cooking, huh? Yes, we do. That is Behind the Paranormal Case Files, and uh, you can check that out on YouTube. The newest video will be up soon. It's Everything is in flux with personal things and all that, but it'll it's well worth the wait, folks. Yeah, you've been moving and all. Yes. Um, meanwhile, find out more about the show, our public appearances, and more at BehindTheParanormal.com, where you'll find nearly 700 free recorded hours uh, of shows on both ON 1240 and our four-and-a-half-year run on CBS Radio, along with special shows and podcasts. And many of you will be happy to know that this site and uh, NewEnglandGhost.com as well are being completely redesigned and will be brought kicking and screaming into the 21st century if it's the last thing we do. I'll be of new features and a lot of new interactivity opportunities. Uh, and you can find my other books at uh, Amazon.com, Amazon Kindle, Barnes & Noble, etc. But if you buy them directly at BehindTheParanormal.com, I, or we in the case of the latest book, will sign them, bless you, sign them for you. And um, you will um, help us keep all those uh, recorded shows free on the website. Uh, also, you'll find uh, links to charities we've adopted. So next Sunday, February 12th, my dad and I will welcome Veni uh, Kochis, uh, who will be talking about her escape from a cult. 
Actually, I think she has to reschedule. I only just got that announcement. But stay tuned to the website. We'll tell you what's going yes. on. We might do open lines. We'll leave you this afternoon with another thought from the great Stanton Friedman from his forward to our book, Behind the Paranormal, Everything You Know is Wrong. We need to recognize that we don't know everything. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you behind the paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.